1: Welcome back, Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, David Dahl. Good to see you in the production chair. Hello, Bill. 602 is the number to call in. We read in today's Wall Street Journal that ASU has put an end to an endowed program that engaged in the Lays' Majesté of bringing Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk to its campus a few months ago to speak on the highly controversial topic of Health, wealth, and happiness. If you take the problem at face value, you might think ASU has an institutional issue with the concepts of health, wealth, and happiness. And you would be right in the most decisive of senses. When it comes to health, for example, we live in a world where public health means using and abusing children. ...to soothe adult anxieties, thus giving our children confusing and confused understandings of the role of their world and the real world, thus giving our children all kinds of mental health problems via a new form of factitious Munchausen by proxy. You saw this during COVID. You see it today in racializing and sexualizing children as young as kindergarten. And you see it in the implanting of doubt and the instantiating of more confusion over sex or gender roles... And their mutability. As for wealth, well, that is the prime enemy of socialism and Marxism. As for happiness, the only happy warriors in the Democratic Party today are really just in the history books, like Al Smith or Hubert Humphrey, George McGovern, John Kennedy. When's the last time you saw Bernie Sanders smile, much less laugh? The only time Democratic leaders laugh is when it's at an uncomfortable question so as to dismiss it as risible. See Kamala Harris with almost any question or Joe Biden being asked about his family fortunes or misfortunes. Happiness or good humor is never in the realm or pursuit of the leftist revolutionary. For you cannot fundamentally transform something you are happy with. After all, we must be in fear all the time and unhappy all the time. Whether it's from the Green Movement whose chief faces are Greta Thunberg or John Kerry or Al Gore or anything else in our politics, doomsday is the everyday for them that ends in the letter Y. In the 1960s, we were on the eve of destruction as the popular Barry Maguire song went. In the 1970s, it was the population bomb from Paul Ehrlich. In the 1980s, Ronald Reagan was leading us towards nuclear holocaust. Anyone recall the massive marches with people costumed as skeletons or with gas, gas masks? Even the Mondale campaign of 1984 produced a television ad of kindergarten children watching their world disintegrate from their classrooms from the launch of nuclear weapons. The day after a televised movie in 1983 about a nuclear holocaust came at the height of Reaganism, and was one of the highest-rated television movies in history. No, you listen to any revolutionary, from Lenin to Castro, from Mao to Che Guevara, from Franz Fanon or Ibram Kendi to Daniel Ortega, there is no rest or contentment to be had, ever. Thus, the Marxist notion of the permanent revolution. Again, you don't revolt against something comfortable, good, content, or happy. This is, of course, why COVID was such an ideal touchstone to overturn a Pax Americana whose economy and everything else was doing better than at most any other time in history. It could be used, COVID, to implant panic and fear and disaster and destruction. Anyone recall the Imperial College model of 40 million deaths from COVID? Off by about 471% with the most liberalized counting of COVID deaths, which is itself perhaps off by at least 50% due to such liberalized counting. But what a great opportunity to lay the chief cornerstone of the leftist dream palace, turning America into a garrison state sociologically and politically, while economically we could bust all financial sobriety and spend more than we did defeating the Nazis and the imperial Japanese in World War II. So the topic, health, wealth, and happiness, was the first assault in a university gripped and dominated by leftism. And then you add Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk, and because they support and supported Republicans, they can be labeled as, quote, attackers of the institutions of democracy, close quote, as the faculty at ASU labeled them, I guess because the last Republican president had 800 misguided supporters who engaged in a seven-hour breach of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Prager and Kirk were labeled as, quote, purveyors of hate who have publicly attacked women people of color, and the LGBTQ community, close quote. Just how did they ever do that? Well, if you don't support the agenda of the National Organization of Women or Planned Parenthood, you attack women. If you oppose race-based affirmative action, you are attacking people of color. And if you oppose the agenda that supports, say, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence or kindergarten teachers encouraging their sexual preferences to the children in their classrooms, you attack the LGBTQ community. That's how that's done. You take over the realm. You freeze it and make your ideological preferences the only acceptable ones, the established stage upon which only one view is legitimate and any opposition is the purveyance of hate or extremism. So in the end, you take a topic that is a tricolon of anathematization to the left, health, wealth, and happiness, then add speakers who are profanated by the academic and political left, and poof, you've created a retrograde Anshan regime whose spokesmen are untermenschen, illegitimate and beneath contempt. I attended that event at ASU, by the way, and I think the store may have been given away by Dennis Prager in his opening comments. For there he said, quote, I invite any of the professors who oppose me to come on my show and debate me. What they are afraid of is that I will have answers for them, so they won't do it. I'll give them an audience of three million as opposed to the 30 they have in their classrooms, but they won't do it. And what they are really afraid of in my being here is they know that with reason and common sense, I will unwind in five minutes what they spend four years trying to wind up in their students. That's what Dennis said. And that, of course, is the reason for this kind of censuring and censorship. Basic conservative thought, the kind you can find debated in each and every state legislature across the country or in the U.S. Congress. It's in the way of the march through the institutions and the march to instill a unipolar, non-ideologically challenged left, starting with getting humans while they are young. But Firing administrators who organize such events and banning institutions that host such events, I say, is actually worse worse than McCarthyism. And it's worse than McCarthyism for two reasons. One, most of what is said about the evils of McCarthyism is invented or exaggerated. For example, I don't think there was a single college campus in the 1950s that wasn't already full of liberal and left-wing thought and none of it succumbed to anything McCarthy warned about or wanted. In fact, McCarthy's greatest opposition came from the campuses. And two, the second greatest opposition to McCarthy came from the media that scrutinized and condemned him. For cross-references, see Edward Murrow and CBS. Today, colleges all over the place are succumbing to the new McCarthyism, and the media either ignores or supports it. There is no Edward Murrow, as there is no equivalent of any CBS, taking on the fervency of left-wing dominance in any institution the way they did McCarthy. In fact, the mainstream media either supports this nonsense or ignores it. When Edward Murrow issued his famous broadcast on Joe McCarthy in 1954, he said McCarthy's, quote, primary achievement has been in confusing the public mind but we must not confuse dissent with disloyalty," close quote. We must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. That it seems to me is a perfect template is a perfect template of what is happening here. "You must fuddle them," Scrooge Tape told his nephew Wormwood. "Fuddle? Great word. It means to confuse. And of course there is nothing the Pragers and the Kirks Loyal Americans, whose patriotism I'd stack against anyone's, stand for other than dissent. Dissent, that is, from the current orthodoxy of regnant leftism. Once upon a time, a college or university stood for examining preconceived notions and orthodoxies, challenging the doctrines of each age and thinker. Now they are none of that. They are just doctrinaire. I'm Seth Liebsen, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebsen Show. David, have I run you through I know I, I ran uh Bill through. Do you have I run you through why he says Don't I Know You from the Cinematographers Party? No. It's a lyric that you would ask about, right? Wouldn't you ask how many cinematographers' parties do you get invited to or ever have heard of anyone going to? I've never heard of anybody going to a cinematographer's party. So Paul Simon was asked about it once, and he said, I just needed six syllables. Sometimes that is the answer to why a lyric is a lyric. There you go. (laughs) Bill Buckley was once asked why, why he used the word irenic instead of peaceful. And he said, "I needed the extra syllable." Sometimes that's the answer too. From you, you need to do a promo for, from Bill Buckley to Paul, from Paul Simon to Bill Paul Buckley. Says, Maybe not. People yeah, will think it's the old senator from Illinois. Oh yeah. Speaking of, I think your pin today might be related to that. Barry. It is indeed related. I, Illinois, I saw yes, walking saw by a name before. I haven't. What pin do you have on today?
2: Rumsfeld for Congress. So this is going to go back to I think the election of 68.
1: sixty-eight. I'm yeah, guessing yeah. one term.
2: He served a term in the Congress yeah, and then made term. it the Nixon administration. That's right, where he ran
1: uh, welfare projects, welfare programs, Office of Economic Opportunity, maybe something like that?
2: I think, yeah, I think you're right. But what I do remember from the Nixon administration is Nixon either referred to him as the best-dressed or the most handsome member of his cabinet. I don't know which one it was, but that was oh, what is that Nixon right? said about him in '73.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the best one of the best political autobiographies I've ever read is his. It's really good. If you haven't if you haven't read it, I really encourage it. Whether you a lot of people don't even like him, it's still a dang good autobiography. Really? Okay. It, it's I'll really really yeah. really good. And um he's a funny guy too, you know, in 19 sorry, in 2001, he became Secretary of Defense again. Again. Right. Yep. <laughs> and You may you you may remember Charlie's Angels movie came out, you know, with uh, with uh, uh, those three actresses, Lisa, the newer one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who is it? Lisa and Cameron Diaz and uh, Barrymore, Drew Barrymore. Mm -hmm. It was a big movie at the time. So his opening line to the staff when he greeted him is, you know what he said? Charlie's Angels is back and so am I. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he was yeah, there yeah. in the 70s. <laughs> right back there in the 70s. Anyway, um, I knew him a little bit and liked him a lot. Really? I, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's, that's yeah. cool. He, our offices at Empower America in Washington, uh, D.C., um, That this was Bill Bennett, Jack, and Gene's offices where we worked. They were 1701 Pennsylvania Avenue, right across from the White House. And he was Secretary of Defense, and he was old buddies with all those folks. And he walked in and he came in with his security retinue that wanted to kind of search the place first. He goes, guys, we're good here. <laughs> we're, we're OK. <laughs> I trust these guys. Really good man. All right. Let's talk for a moment about really not very good men. Um, the Hunter Biden story. This is an amazingly curious story at many levels. The plea deal that has been put together by his attorneys and uh, the Department of Justice. Now it needs to be, last I checked, it hasn't yet been signed off on by a judge. And often, most often, I'll stand corrected if anyone has better knowledge of this than I, most often judges will sign off on what the uh, prosecution and the defendant uh, plead to, agree to. Uh, Not always, but most often. and. What's issue? interesting to me is the timing. Uh boy, you want you want to stick a th- a finger in the thumb of this country's eye with this continual dual approach to justice in this country. I saw a lot of liberal commentators on MSNBC and CNN saying, "Well, the right is already condemning it as, you know, a scandal and an issue of two-tiered justice as they drum up conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. That's what they. Are, that, that's what the left wants you to think. They want you to think that there's nothing here, uh, and that there's nothing further to fi- to find or to see here, including uh, James Comer's committee's investigation into the Biden dealings with China and Ukraine, and the millions of dollars they found. Uh, circuitously, uh, circuitously uh, wended into their various bank accounts when Joe Biden was vice president. Um, That investigation can go on, by the way. Nothing that was agreed to here in this Department of Justice plea deal or U.S. attorney's plea deal, really. Nothing precludes James Comer's committee from going full steam ahead. And maybe this will animate them to go even even fuller steam ahead. Maybe they will be so put off by this They they will go even further steam ahead. But the thing that is curious to me, you know, it's good to be a Biden in so many ways, obviously, this included. But something I've been talking about, I think I was talking about it with Sam last week a little bit. Joe Biden, all he has to do is say there's nothing there or give a one word or one sentence response to any uncomfortable question, and the media just takes it, runs with it, and melts away into the background and goes back to whatever whatever it is they are doing, pressing F7 on their computers to find a scandal about Donald Trump or something like that, I suppose. But in today's case, he was... I guess it's San Francisco on a panel and was asked a bunch of questions of, uh, of this deal and about Hunter Biden. And he said the same thing he has always said when asked a question about him. And it's the oddest thing to me. And it's obviously something he's been either wanting to say all along, or he has been counseled to say as the talking point all along and He's either committed to himself and his family or the political team at the White House has told him to never leave this talking point. And it's 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 this. He says, I'm very proud of my son. That's all he says. I'm proud of my son or I'm very proud of my son. Usually it's I'm proud of my son. Today I saw the word very added to it of my son. His only response ever to these questions. And the media usually walks away after that. Or begs off after that. But are we so scrupulous and so pearl-clutching a society that we might have the follow-up, since he has said this so many times, that it begs? Because when he says in the wake of all these charges and allegations and discoveries of of many things— From illegal drugs to illegal purchases of guns to tax evasion to all manner of, you know, behavior with prostitutes. I mean, just all kinds of things. When he says, I'm proud of my son or I'm very proud of my son, he is begging. He is inviting the question no one will ask. He doesn't know he's doing it and they won't do it. Sir, what about Hunter Biden are you proud of precisely? Precisely. Can someone ask that question next time he tries to dodge it with that, please? Because I'd like to know. I've looked at the career. I've looked at the long career and the recent career. What about him are you proud of or very proud of? Be interesting to hear Joe Biden's answer on that. That's all, folks. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. John Dombrowski, aside from being one of my favorite people in the Valley of the Sun, absolute favorite people, he is the founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, founder and president. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. Great way to reach reach out to him. He's also the host of his own radio show, Heard Here, every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. It's called The Word on Wealth. John, how are you today?
3: Fantastic,
1: Seth. Nice to hear your voice. You as well. Uh, You, with me, are your best when you teach me things. Okay. And I was hoping you could do this for me. A story in the Wall Street Journal headline, Wall Street buys more T-bills, parks less at Fed. Okay. Can you help me understand what that means and what the implications are?
3: So we have an unusual scenario right now where uh, we've been so used to low interest rates that we've uh, pretty much given up on, you know, where we, we can't keep our money in the bank, we couldn't keep our money, even in uh, treasury bonds at the time, which were paying nothing. Um, but over the last year and a half, we see uh, the Fed has raised rates dramatically. And, um, you know, if you were looking to gain some type of income in a portfolio over the last few years back, we had to actually look for alternative options, we mm-hmm. couldn't use bonds the way we used to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but recently here we've seen now all of a sudden that interest rates have risen to a, a, a point to where you can literally put money in a treasury bond right now, a short term treasury, mm-hmm. uh, above five percent. Mm-hmm. And park that money there and feel very comfortable that no matter what's going on in the markets, in the stock markets, I'm still going to be getting 5% plus on my money. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the challenge to this, of course, though, is if and when interest rates do begin to move lower, well, then that's going to change the tune. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But for right now, um, it is a great place, and we're d- utilizing this for a lot of our clients, um, Seth. So this is... Uh, Uh, very familiar here, is we're taking full advantage of what the um, uh, treasury uh, bonds and treasury bills offer to our clients, which is a good rate of return for a short period of time. It's a safe place uh, during a volatile time for the markets uh, to put money and feel good about getting some type of return on your investment. Now, the downside is, is, of course, uh, we've had a tremendous run in the markets over the last uh, six months or so. We've seen the S&P 500, I believe it's somewhere in the 15% year-to-date uh, increase in value. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could be happy with 5%. You may want to do more of a blended opportunity and, and take advantage of some of the, the growth in the stock market and also hold these types of treasury bonds in your portfolio, and that's what we're doing for our clients right now. I got gotcha. you.
1: Now, on that kind of uh, T-bill investment, mm-hmm. More aimed towards the slightly uh, – the more – the the retired community or not necessarily? Than the not, necessarily. Commu- not necessarily. Not if, necessarily.
3: Okay. If, you know, if you've got uh, a portfolio, whether uh, someone who's still working, still employed and still contributing to the retirement account but still wanting to um, have an opportunity to grow their portfolio, um, usually there's that balance between stocks and bonds in a portfolio. Yeah. Bonds have not been very attractive over the past couple of years, but all of a sudden we're starting to see that they're they're becoming more attractive because of, uh, in this case, uh, any type of government-backed um, bond, such as a treasury bond, a treasury bill. These are things that are backed by the federal government, okay. and they give us an opportunity to have that safety of the principal with getting a reasonable rate of return during, as I mentioned, volatile times in the market. Um, so – uh, it's a good balanced approach to any portfolio that would want to be diversified between stocks and bonds.
1: And with thoughts on, or is it premature to say on 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 those interest rate hikes right now?
3: Well, uh, you know, again, the Fed is going to be meeting this week yeah. again, and we're going to start to hear some information from the Fed on whether or not uh, they believe inflation has, uh, you know, uh, some more room to go higher or not. They're going to be looking at. Um, uh, real estate, homes, and such, and they're going to be looking at unemployment numbers, and that's going to determine, you know, whether or not they're going to stay with this, what they call the pause in raising rates or if possibly next uh Next month, they may raise rates a quarter percent or maybe a little more. But I think there's a fairly good consensus that we're probably very close, if not already, topped out on uh, rate hikes. Okay. So we're going to have to wait and see. But there's also been a recent study uh, that was came out this morning that uh, the, the market being up uh, this much over uh, you know the period of time, year to date, uh, that historically, the last 10 times that this has occurred, it meant that the market closed even higher uh-huh. from this point. Uh-huh. Um, by year end. So uh, 10 10 for 10 on those those statistics. So that's a pretty good uh, indicator indicator as to that maybe we're going to see the markets have a little higher to go before the end of the year. No guarantee on that, though.
1: Let's pick up on that and what all this means for housing, too, if we can. Okay, tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, John.
3: Sounds great. You bet. Securities and Advisory Services offer the Creative One Securities LLC, member of Finran and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, Creative One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Check out our website, and you can request an appointment right there at grandcanyonplanning.com.
1: Nicely done. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Bob is in Payson. Hello, Bob.
4: Hello, Seth. How are you? Every night and day. You I like dream that? that Daffy Duck will go away.
1: <laughs> That's another dream.
4: Hey, um, Daffy, were you doing Daffy Duck or Elmer? I can't remember.
1: Well, what. I've never attempted any of them, and I think that was a lame attempt at Elmer Fudd, who I think had the uh, had the uh, statement, that's all, folks. Yeah, Wasn't that okay, Elmer well, Fudd? Was, I think it was Elmer Fudd. It
4: was very good, and I'm, I'm losing it, Seth. Now you got an was advertiser. That, was it him
1: or Porky Pig? Now I'm not sure.
4: It might have <laughs> no. been Porky Pig. But now you have an av- advertiser who's advertising... To save the flamingo, whatever the heck that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
1: that's that's right. Yeah, good, good. Did you know hey, fl- flamingos, flamingos aren't uh, pink by nature? Did you know that? I
4: never it's their noticed. diet
1: that makes them so. They're born white, and it's what they eat that turns their, uh, I don't know if it's their dermis or their feathers pink, but it turns them pink. Truly, well, so honestly, for, yeah. For,
4: they're in Florida. They must be eating pink shrimp.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, I think it is the krill they eat. I think it has something to do with that diet. Yeah, yeah. Anyway,
4: Seth, I don't, be- I don't believe in coincidences. I don't think you do either. But it's, it, and it's not a coincidence in the last four days that our Secretary of State, Blinken, was visiting China and kissing the rear end of the Communist Chinese. I don't believe it's a coincidence in the same four days, Seth that the United States citizens are told by Pravda that there are communist espionage bases open in Cuba, okay? In that same four days, I don't believe that Hunter Biden, I don't believe that Hunter Biden admitted to tax fraud and he's getting his hands slapped. And the stuff I read, we're talking about seven-figure tax fraud here that would be not be lightly taken for you or I.
1: What do you say? Uh listen, first uh whether it's philosophical or theological or some kind of logy, I've never believed in any kind of coincidences. Everything happens for a reason, every single thing. Sometimes it's explained and explainable and sometimes it's not explained and we'll find out later, either now or once we leave the mortal co- this mortal coil, so I, I I don't believe in any coincidence about anything. I don't believe it about why I was stopped at a red light when I'm in a rush. I don't believe in. Co- I just don't believe in any coincidences. When you recite the news stories you've talked about, Bob, um, th- this this is this is really the huge concern. Uh, Hunter Biden is. I'm sorry to say he's he's nothing more than a lowlife. He's just nothing more than a spoiled and privileged lowlife. And you know, we've seen a lot of these kinds of montbanks throughout our culture and our history. There's nothing surprising there. What is surprising is an is 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 connections to dangerous regimes and corrupt regimes that have nothing but interest in influence peddling and may have made him a part of it at the highest levels of our government, including the vice president and president who happens to be his father. And what is interesting to me about that is that the media is singularly uncurious about it, just takes their word that there's nothing to see here. It's either malarkey or the president is proud of his son. Or what was it? Uh, Tucker did this well uh, earlier today. He pointed out the last sit-down interview Joe Biden had with a reporter at MSNBC. And the way she pitched the question to him about Hunter was, uh, Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden has a lot of personal issues. Personal? Sure. But that's not what makes the story interesting. A lot of us have, probably all of us have personal issues. It's these issues that tie into levels of of corruption and tie into ties with communist countries. The other thing that is the big story here, Bob, that the media seems also uncurious about, is just what the hell is going on with China and Cuba 90 miles off our shores within eavesdropping ability of CENTCOM and so much of our military apparatus. What is going on with Anthony Blinken in China as you say, well, as you put it uh, in, in in perhaps more graphic terminology, uh, an appeasement of, yes, the biggest communist country in the world that has been not only spying on us, but so many other things. And what is it about this country that seems to want to adapt, absorb and invite or large parts of this country that want to seem adapt to adapt and absorb and invite so much of Chinese communist culture. It's really, really odd. And by culture, I mean political as well as sociological. I have, I have never seen a time like this before in, in, in American history through my reading of it or in my lifetime. It's a very, very odd confluence of toxic stories that, again, the media just doesn't seem to care about. They care far more about shutting us up who raise these things in trying to do their job and raise the questions that a better media would be raising than they are in examining and investigating these things. And so, I mean, it leaves us obviously very anxiety-ridden. It leaves us very curious. And it leaves us, quite frankly, in a media that loves to talk about how divided America is and how susceptible we are to conspiracy theories and that sort of thing what else where else are we to go what else are we to think when they just want to shut us up and shut us down when we raise these very very legitimate questions that you know damn well bob if it wasn't a person with the last name biden or i should say if it wasn't a person who had a d behind their name the media would not be so willing to just pack up and go home you know damn well that's true
4: it's because uh, there's a c- company in this country called Pravda. It's no different what happened in the old Soviet Union is producing the news that we they want us to hear. I'm not sure if any of them ever been to Venezuela, if any of them been to Nicaragua, if any of them have been to Cuba, all the rest of the communist countries around the Caribbean and and our part part of the hemisphere of the world. And with that, uh, I don't know where we're going. i gonna close with this, sir. God... The
1: king. Well, you know, I, got it, right. I you, got it right. Well, if you lived in Great Britain, you'd have gotten it right. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if unless I'd, you're talking about have, Elvis Presley. If, if I'd have
4: lived in Ireland, I'd have got
1: smacked in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you talking about Elvis Presley? That I can live with that if that's what you're talking about. I, I don't. I, God knows what he was thinking. God knows what he was thinking. And then the Politico News outlet, Bob, thank you for your call. The Politico, Politico the Politico news, um, news outlet did a little story on it, just a couple paragraphs. And they said Joe Biden has long been known for saying quirky things. And in fact, this is the second time on record he has said God save the queen. And my question is, does that make it less concerning or more? When you commit an error more than once, it's worse than just committing it once, right? I would think. The pretzels they twist themselves in to defend and prop up this emperor with no clothes knows no bounds. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You think about the bank failures, you think about a possible recession, you think about the stock market's volatility, you think about inflation. Why Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it whatever you like with no loss of principal. if you need your money back at any time time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi. They're headquartered here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much and you can as well. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at com. That's invest, the letter Y, then dot com, Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Yes, young David, you said you had a problem of
2: the ethos. I do, but first, uh, I, I, uh, a precedent. Yeah. What was that? What was what? The song. It was really
1: good. Oh, that's uh, Bill Chase. Yeah. Um, Bill Chase was a very skilled trumpet player who had a band called Chase, uh, and he died uh, too young in a uh, plane accident. But uh, popular in the seventies, started in the Maynard Ferguson band, if I'm not mistaken, and went out from there on his own. Well, that must be why I like it. Yeah, you watch uh, you watch a YouTube video of any of his stuff uh, or the Chase band stuff, and you'll uh, you know, the energy is tremendous. Yeah,
2: I'll have to listen to it. Yes, I have. A, I had an observation and uh my head felt like there was uh some bad ethics at 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 place here yes so uh recently the HOA in the community i live in has paved the uh streets and we all had to move our cars and you know move them to areas because they were paving for the past 2 days however the HOA on the other side of the street has not decided to pave their area or their community or, for whatever reason, they are a different uh, code than we yeah. are on our side. Yeah. So, the north side so you have the a new rise. and an old on the oh, same street. That is exactly—you are, you are understanding exactly yes. what I'm observing. I observed today yes. that half of the street is paved. The south side of the street and the north side of the street is not paved. Yes. Why do I, moral heartstrings, feel like they have done something very petty and very wrong? Yes.
1: To quote Graham Nash in a recent interview— be happy you even have a place to live and don't complain about cold coffee. <laughs> Lex non curate de minimis. The law does not bother itself with trifles. Best I can do. Okay. All right. <laughs> Owen Anderson, uh, professor from ASU who defended and stood up for Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk and the whole Lewis Center at ASU. He'll be with us in just a moment. Don't go away. We'll be right back